0: Well, again, welcome to CA Church Online. My name's Sam. I'm one of the pastors here. And I just recognize that there's a lot of things in this online space that are fighting for your attention. But I'm so thankful that you choose to spend some time with us today to worship together, to be formed by the scriptures, the teachings of Jesus together. It's awesome. This, uh, this week, we're going to continue our series through the book of James. And so if you have a Bible, why don't you turn there right now, James chapter 1, and we're going to look at verse 2 to 4. And while you're turning there, I just wanted to give you a little bit of context as to what's going on in this letter, a few things that we know about this letter in uh, the book of James. Here's a few things. Firstly, since the first century, Christians have looked to the book of James as a sort of model of what it looks like to live the Christian life. It's, it's among the shortest of the New Testament letters. And, and I learned this week that no New Testament letter is more closely linked to the teachings of Jesus than the book of James. There's 35 direct parallels between Jesus' teaching and James' teaching right here in this letter. And 25 of them are, are, are sort of direct quotations from the Sermon on the Mount. James, the, the author, is Jesus' little brother. It's the half-brother of Jesus. He's one of Mary and Joseph's biological kids. And if that isn't reason enough to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, I don't know what is. I mean, I like to think that I was a good big brother to my younger siblings. But if I stepped up and said that, that, that I was God in the flesh, my siblings would pipe up and say, um... No, he's not. And James did struggle with this reality along with his family for quite some time. But we read about in the Gospels, specifically in Mark, that it, that it isn't until the resurrection when he encounters the risen Jesus that he believes. And then in Acts 15, it's documented that he eventually becomes the leader of the early church. And then later in his life, he's killed for his faith in Jesus, martyred. James describes himself in the opening of this letter as James, a servant of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. He's writing to to Jewish Christians who are dispersed, scattered all over the nations. And and the question then becomes, why are they scattered? Well, well, primarily because they're they're being persecuted for their faith. They've, they've They've run for their lives because they're experiencing great trials, persecutions, because of their faith in Jesus. And so the first thing that James tells the early Christians, those who've been scattered in persecution, the first thing he tells them in this letter is that what real faith looks like in light of trials. So that's where we're going today. James chapter one, starting in verse two. Let's read it together. Here's what it says. Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Let's pray together and then, we'll, and then we'll discuss this text together. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for, for your servant, James, who communicates your truth and the teachings of Jesus and unpacks this for us. I pray that today as we read, as we learn, as we explore this text, I pray that you would make it come alive to us by your spirit. In your name we pray, amen. Well, the first and maybe most important question that we need to ask when we approach this text, if we want to make sense of it at all, is Is what does James' command really mean? What does it mean when he says, count it all joy when you face trials of any kind? If, if we're honest, and maybe this is what you're thinking right now, this sounds crazy. <laughs> count it all joy. Maybe you're undergoing trials right now. I don't know what your specific situation looks like, but I know that, that right now on various levels, we're all facing some sort of trials, hard times. I mean, 2020 didn't turn out like we expected. And whether big or small, we've all had struggles and trials over this last number of months. COVID-19 and the fears associated with the pandemic, the the loneliness that comes from being held prisoner in in our own homes. Some marriages and families have been under great stress as a result of lockdown. Domestic violence is at an all-time high, the loss of employment. There's there's people in our own church community who've had great health struggles, even near-death experiences, as a result of this pandemic. A number of people in our church have lost loved ones this year. Racism was raised to the surface with the absolutely brutal and unjust deaths of black brothers and sisters that was caught on camera exposing the heartache and the lived experiences of of people of color in America and in our own country, whether black or First Nations or immigrants. Maybe maybe it's brought up emotions and experiences that you've had, and, and that's not all bad. The awareness is good, but these are big trials, big challenges we're walking through, big problems. And when it seemed like maybe we'd hit a plateau, like 2020 couldn't bring us any more chaos. Like we'd hit a sort of boiling point, so to speak. Then there's forest fires just a few hundred kilometers away, destroying communities and homes, displacing hundreds, if not thousands of families. The the, the pier in New West was set on fire and, and our streets have been filled with smoke. The earth is groaning. And then we come to the teaching of James and we're told to consider it pure joy whenever we face trials of many kinds, Is he crazy? There's lots of things that I would count it, but pure joy isn't high on the list. Well, let's unpack these ideas together. Let's look at this text and see what James is really trying to get at. Firstly, well, firstly, I think it's important for us to note that James isn't alone in these instructions. We find this theme runs all throughout the New Testament. For example, Paul explains in Romans 5.3, we rejoice in our suffering. And then in 1 Peter 4.13, he says, rejoice that you share in Christ's suffering. And then even Jesus himself in Matthew 5.11, this is the Sermon on the Mount. He says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you. Falsely on my account, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. This is a theme that we see all throughout the New Testament writings. And we even see it played out in the lives of believers in the early church. Luke reports in Acts chapter five, when the Sanhedrin called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And then they let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. In Acts 16, when Paul and Silas are severely flogged, they're in intense pain, they're thrown in prison. It doesn't really sound like a great moment for celebration, but then this is what it says. About midnight... Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. This this worship concert was so pleasing to God that if you know the story, he literally brings the house down. I think it's important for us to know that all throughout the opening words of of James, even, even though they seem obscure and nonsensical, this is a concept that's taught all throughout the biblical story, especially in the New Testament and even by Jesus himself. So it's certainly something that we should be paying attention to. Secondly, In understanding this command, I want to point out that James doesn't say if trials come. He doesn't say if hardships come. He says when they come. Trials are a promised reality for followers of Jesus. But we're taught in the West to to avoid trials at all costs. And this isn't only an idea from outside the church. It's also made its way in the church. For many of us, we've been sold a kind of Christianity that, that promises, follow Jesus and all your troubles will go away. Or when you become a Christian, you'll live this perfect life with health and your debt will disappear. Following Jesus becomes this kind of get-rich-quick plan. Or maybe that's extreme, but others maybe think, you know, when, when I became a Christian, I figured that now that I'm a Christian, now that I'm walking with God, I've cleaned up my life a little bit. Nothing bad can happen to me. But I think any of us who've been following Jesus for a period of time will say that's not only not been our experience in, in, in Christianity and following Jesus, but also maybe not what we should be chasing. And if that's your expectation, I'm a Christian, I'm a good person now, I've cleaned up my life, things should be going well for me, I'd say to you, well, what do you do with Jesus, who is much better than, than, than you or than me? And he, he was a, a living display of perfect morality, and yet... He suffered, he was rejected, he was tortured and killed. And Jesus himself said, a servant isn't above his master. And so as followers of him, as as servants of Jesus, our master, we can expect that just as he encountered great trials and tribulations, so we will encounter those difficulties as well. He actually promises that we will. In John 16, Jesus says, in this world, you will have many troubles. (laughs) If this is your first time tuning in with us at CA Church, I'm sorry. I promise it gets better. But let's keep moving what are we talking about when we talk about trials? Well, the word trials that's used here in James chapter one is quite broad in meaning. It's translated from the Greek in the NIV Bible as trials of many kind. And, And although it's important for us to note, as we said earlier, that James is writing this letter to the persecuted church scattered among the nations. It's 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 interesting, he doesn't limit his instructions to those who are being persecuted and martyred for their faith in Jesus. It it certainly applies to them and it certainly applies to us when we're misunderstood or ridiculed or pushed away or, or disqualified because of our faith. Something we're just beginning to get acquainted with here in the West where Christians overseas have been experiencing severe hardship for their faith for centuries. But when James says trials of many kind, many biblical scholars have noted that he's truly referring to various kinds of trials from from physical trials with sickness and disease, emotional trials, mental health, relational trials with marriages and families, when, when we experience poverty, when your business endeavor doesn't work, when your family disowns you because of your love for Christ, racial divides, when you encounter the hard knocks of life, when you walk through the dark night of the soul, See, trials come in various kinds, which, which means that this passage really applies to all of us. And if it's not in this specific moment, it will be in the days and the weeks and the months to come. So we've noted that, that this is a reoccurring theme throughout the New Testament. We've addressed that James doesn't say if hard times come. He says when they come. We know that, that trials are, are these adversities that are coming at you from, from every direction. But how can we consider it pure joy? I mean, James seems to indicate that trials aren't just something we're meant to endure, but instead they're supposed to be an occasion for joy. Well, in answering this question, let's first talk about what it doesn't mean. What it doesn't mean when he says consider it pure joy when you encounter trials of any kind. He's not telling us to be happy when bad things happen. You know, we've all been around those Christians who feel like it's their duty to remind us of the positive things when we're in the depths of despair. Like, you know, remember that, that some people are, are worse off than you. You should be thankful. At least you're not like, like those people. Or maybe they say, you know, remember Jesus suffered too. So put a smile on your face and just power through, cowboy. And you just want to say, like, please stop. Paul tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. When we experience loss, we don't mourn like those who have no hope, but we still mourn. Side note, if you're walking with someone who's going through great trials, generally they don't need you to preach at them. They they need someone to sit with them and listen and enter into their pain with them. The other thing it's not telling us is it's not an absence of why questions. This isn't about blind faith and just quietly letting life run you over. David in the psalm says to God, where are you? Why am I going through this while your enemies are prospering? You know, part of being in relationship with God is bringing all our emotions before him. He can take your anger and frustration. And it's okay for you to go into a big open space and scream and yell and ask for answers. It's not saying you can't plead with God for help. We can and we should cry out to him and ask him to intervene on our behalf. And sometimes in his mercy, he does step in and he he pulls us out of our pain. And pulls us out of our suffering. But, but here's what James is saying. He's saying that because of the Christian understanding of life, we can have joy in the midst of trials. See, typically we think of joy and we think of happy emotions. Joy and happy are often used synonymously. But joy is, is so much bigger than that. Joy is fruit of the Spirit. And this kind of biblical joy, this joy in the midst of hardship, is, is something that only a Christian can truly experience because it comes from knowing and being known by God. It's a work of the spirit in our lives. I love this thought from C.S. Lewis. He says this, "'Good things as well as bad, you know, "'are caught by a kind of infection. "'If you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. "'If you want to be wet, you must get into the water. "'If you want joy, power, peace, eternal life, "'you must get close to or even into the thing that has them. "'They are not a sort of prize which God could, "'if he chose, just hand out to anyone.'" They are a great fountain of energy and beauty spurting up at the very center of reality. If you are close to it, the spray will wet you. If you're not, you'll remain dry. We can experience great joy in the midst of hardships because we know the one who holds all things together. We know the giver of life and the one who puts each breath in our lungs. We we know the one who's made all things and who sustains all things. The one whose story we belong to, who's making all things right. And although we can't see around the corner, that's our current trial. We know the one who can. Dallas Willard explains it like this. He says, joy is not about pleasure, a mere sensation, but a pervasive and constant sense of well-being. Hope in the goodness of God is joy's indispensable support. See, joy is a longing for home. It's, it's an ache, a sense that, that this, the here and now, is, is not our final destination. And so, so joy draws us to Jesus and the truth that all should be well. And that's why you can feel emotions of sadness and deep pain and anguish and yet still have a deep-rooted joy because joy places pain in its right context. Our trials are hard, but placed in light of our hope in Christ, we know that 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 will make it through. And that in the end, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither principalities nor powers, nothing can separate us from the love of God that's found in Christ Jesus. So we can have joy in the midst of our trials because of our future hope, because we know the one who holds all things. And, and then James goes on to say that our joy is to come from understanding that trials produce perseverance. We can find joy in the midst of our trials because we know that joy produces perseverance. Okay, if that's true, then I think it's fair to ask, what's the big deal with perseverance? I mean, why is perseverance meant to be a reason for joy? What is so virtuous about sustaining yourself through trials? What's what's so virtuous about facing difficult things and powering through them? Well, the word perseverance, or or it's sometimes translated as steadfast, is translated from the Greek word hupamone. And it actually doesn't refer to a personal act of fortitude. Instead, it's referring to traits of character that are already in a person that simply are more easily seen in circumstances of hardship. And so maybe a more direct translation of this word is active steadfastness motivated by hope, meaning that trials expose the true resting place of our hope. Trials are circumstances where we learn to trust in God. It's in persevering through our trials that we actually learn to trust in him. See, persevering through hardship can be incredibly difficult, but we can have a deep lasting assurance in the midst of trials because as Christians, we know that just as a goldsmith uses fire to refine gold, so God uses trials to forge us and to refine us into the people that he's made us to be. God uses trials to shape us into the people that he's made us and redeemed us to be. That trials are a path to Christian maturity. Pastor Mark talked uh, last week about maturity and said that the, the whole book of James is really about this theme of, of growing in our maturity. And we, and we certainly see that in these few verses. God takes the raw material that's our lives and through a lifetime of trials and text, testing and, and refines us and makes us into something extraordinary. Look at this. Grapes are good, but when they're crushed and and mashed down and when they're matured for 10 or 20 or 50 years, they become wine, which is extraordinary. Or or think about coffee. Coffee beans are are okay, but if you roast them in incredible temperatures and you grind them down just right and you you pour boiling water over them at a ratio of 1 to 17 in a Chemex or a French press or a Kalita, they become a cup of coffee, which is extraordinary. Sometimes in life, you can feel like you're pushed and have feelings of almost being crushed under the pressure of our circumstances. But as Christians, we can hold on to the fact that God uses our trials. He repurposes them. He he turns all things together for good for those who love him. And we don't suffer in vain because we know that God can redeem even the worst of situations and use them to produce good in our lives. I want to tell you, church, I want to urge you, don't waste your trials. 1 Peter 1.6 says this, In all this, greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Trials show the genuineness of our faith. Trials, trials show more clearly what's been in us all along, where our hope truly rests. James tells us that trials produce perseverance, and I was thinking of this idea this week as I was thinking about my daughter Kinsley. She's, she's going to be two in December, and she's learning to walk and run. Many of you have met Kinsley and, and squeezed her chubby little cheeks, and as we were walking along the sidewalk in Port Moody, or as we do that on a regular basis where we live, I, I can generally predict where she's going to trip and fall as she walks on uneven sidewalks or experiences potholes for the first time. And, and my, my first instinct is to swoop her up and, and to help her to avoid that potential fall. Um, but something that my wife, Jorley, always reminds me is that if I, if I pick her up and, and avoid the, the trial or the, the, the challenge that she's facing, She's never going to learn to actually walk through those on her own. And maybe she'll be 16 and she'll still need her dad to carry her over. And I'd be okay with that. But she'd still need her dad to to carry her over the sidewalk. Or maybe she'd even be on her first date and she'd trip and fall because she doesn't know how to walk in uneven concrete. I mean, even nature points to the importance of perseverance. If you think about a caterpillar, Caterpillars need to crack out of their cocoon, and if we try to help the caterpillar by cracking it open for them, we're actually robbing the caterpillar of being able to do in the future what it was made to do, because part of the process that God's created for the caterpillars, is the wings grow in strength as the caterpillar breaks out. Although it's challenging and there's trials, it gives the wings the strength they need to fly. This text tells us that trials produce perseverance, and perseverance produces maturity. Have you ever been into a fruit that isn't ripe yet? Maybe a pineapple or a kiwi or a green banana. It, it, honestly, it tastes horrible. Well, I have something really important to tell you. So if you're taking notes, write this down, okay? Write it down. We're all fruits. <laughs> We're all produce. And, and what are we meant to produce? Well, as we persevere through life circumstances with the joy that comes from knowing God, that he's with us, that he's with us in our trials, that, that, that these trials are meant to produce, perseverance, which produces maturity, we begin to produce the fruit of the spirit, peace, joy, love, patience, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. And an unripe fruit isn't bad. It's just not ready yet. It it needs time attached to the vine or or attached to the plant so that it can get the nutrients it needs to ripen or, or to mature. Maturity comes from what Eugene Peterson describes as a long obedience in the right direction an earthy kind of spirituality that's not looking for a quick spiritual high, but, but is deeply rooted in relationship with Jesus. I learned in my, in my study this week, actually from Norm Funk, who's a church planter in Vancouver, that the testing that James refers to here is rooted in the testing of refining of gold. In 1 Peter, the verse we, we read earlier, it uses the same kind of analogy and I learned that in biblical times, when a goldsmith is testing and refining the gold, he would keep purifying it by scraping off the impurities that rise to the surface of the gold as it was melting, until it came to a point where he could literally see his face in the gold. That's what this, this verse is describing. So when trials and tests are responded to with rejoicing and a recognition that God is working in us, the result will be maturity. Maturity with lives reflecting the face of Jesus in them. That's the goal. Well, as I said earlier, I recognize today that many of you are in the midst of great trials right now. You're walking through some big struggles. And with many of you who I've talked to thus far, you know, I've been so encouraged by your faith, by your unshakable joy. As you've walked through these very tough times, that is Christ in you. I want to remind you that that God is with you, that that Jesus also suffered great pain as he walked on the earth. And so he enters into your pain with you. He's with you in your sorrow. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And if you hang in there, he's going to use what the enemy meant for evil. He's going to use your pain to produce something beautiful in you, to refine you into the woman or to the man that he made you to be. Amen. Let's pray together. Well, Jesus, we thank you for these verses that, that really teach us that, that there is hope in the midst of trials. I pray for my brothers and sisters who are walking through difficult times right now. I pray that you would be with them, that you would be with their, their source, that, that Holy Spirit, they would experience your tangible presence as they walk through these challenging times. Help us as the church to journey with them well. Help, help friends to step up and walk beside them. And I just pray in all of us, as we encounter them today or in the days to come, that we would experience the great joy and the hope, the longing for home, the realization that this is not all there is, that we have a great promise of hope in you, Jesus, and what's to come. In your name we pray, amen.